This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Sleep hot. Mattress Firm's sleep experts can match you with a cooling mattress from the Temper Breeze Collection from Tempur-Pedic, so you can experience measurably cooler sleep all night. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day Sale. Sleep at night. Hey. Hey, Sam. How are you? Doing well, thanks. How Uh, you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I want to ask you a favor. Okay. So, you know how every few weeks or so you uh, tell me that if listeners to this podcast like you so much and NPR likes you so much, they should pay you. (laughs) So, we don't pay you, and you're aware of that. You contribute to our show as a labor of love, which we thank you for. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. (laughs) But um, a lot of other parts uh, that make the show happen need money. And this week, we are asking our listeners to donate to their local NPR stations through a specialized link that allows them to give in the name of this show. What a great idea. I know. All right, so Betty, without any pre-rehearsed script from me, I would love for you to tell people why they should give, and then we'll give them a link to do just that. Well, let me tell you why I enjoy the show is because... Because you're in it. (laughs) No, you're at (laughs) Because of the fresh approach. It's not just listening to the news but it's getting the information about the news in a fun, entertaining, and this format just absolutely works. That was very sweet of you. Uh, What's the link to give? Okay, so the link is donate.npr.org slash Sam. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Is part of why you like the show so much is because I'm your favorite nephew? Could be. You could have something to do with it, but I don't, I don't know. I really do think it's a great show. Okay. Your Is checks like in the mail. No, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, senior policy correspondent for Vox, Sarah Cliff, and NPR film critic, Bob Mondello. All right, let's start the show. Hey y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Each week we start with a different song. I'll explain this song in a second. But first, as Aunt Betty said, we have two distinguished guests here today. Distinguished. In her Vox sweatshirt, Sarah Cliff, senior policy correspondent for Vox, host of your own podcast there called The Impact, all about how policy affects people. Thanks for taking a break from that to come talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having really me here. appreciate it. And uh, favorite of the show, Mr. Bob Mondello, NPR film critic who always indulges me when I walk by his desk and say, should I see that movie? <laughs> he always says time the answer for is, me. The answer is always yes. <laughs> uh, so this song is one of my favorites, and I'm playing it for a very special reason. Do you know this song, either of you? I know it, but I'm not going to be able to tell you the, yeah, I who's can't it tell by. You. The title. Oh. Well, this is embarrassing for my debut. It's one of the most popular recording artists of our time. Beyonce? Beyonce. Uh, just oh, no. below her. <laughs> Rihanna. Rihanna. Yes. Okay. This is a song called Rude oh, Boy. Uh, it's one of my favorite Rihanna songs. And I'm playing it because Spotify this week announced their biggest artists of the year. And the most streamed woman on Spotify is this lady right here. She's so catchy. 
I also love how her entire public persona is just one big dose of WTF. She does not care. She just does what she wants and manages to be very, very successful in spite of all of that. Well, that's not unlike you. <laughs> Are you calling me the Rihanna of public radio? If so, I'll take it. Take that time. You got it. Yes, yes. All right. We are here to discuss what happened this week. Fires in California. Al Franken out of the Senate. And we're going to wade into the health care implications of the GOP tax plan. And we brought perhaps the most preeminent thinker on such issues to do that with us, Sarah. So thank you for agreeing to be quizzed on it. What I lack in Rihanna knowledge, I can I can make up for in tax bills and health care. I thought That's he was what talking I about me. <laughs> uh, but first, as we always do, let's start the show by describing how this week of news and stuff felt for each of us in just three words. Bob, you're up first. Well, my three words are up in smoke. Okay. And it, it obviously this refers to the uh, horrific wildfires in California. Have you seen the video? Oh my god. Of the 405 yeah. and the fire right yeah. outside the 405. It's mind-blowing. And I you know, I've been I spent the last week terrified for the Getty. Yeah. In addition to being terrified for my friends who live out there. I mean, it's it's horrifying. Now say what the Getty is for those that don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. The Getty the Getty Museum is uh it has a, maybe a billion dollars worth of art in it and is directly in the path of one of the fires. And, and way up in these woody, woody hills. Right. And, on fire. And it was interesting because, I, you know, my, my immediate thought is that you want to evacuate all the art. And apparently the gallery says, basically, or the museum, rather, says that the safest place for the art is there in their building. And they <laughs> started pointing out that, well, it's travertine on the outside, which is in, uh, not flammable. Yeah. And they, they planted, uh, this was a fascinating fact to me, they planted the... Plants with the highest water content closest to the oh, walls. Yeah. And so I just didn't—I yeah. didn't know you did that. I and mean, also, it was a, yeah. Also, their AC <laughs> system pushes air out, out doesn't take right. it in, so huh. the smoke doesn't get in the museum. Wow. And just to underscore, it's unprecedented. So mm. far, more than 400 homes and businesses and, and like other buildings have been destroyed. For the first time ever, California officials used the highest color-coded mm. fire warning ever. Purple. This is like more severe <laughs> I didn't even than know there anything was. else. Yeah. Um, parts of two major highways in the area, the 405 and the 101, were shut down for days this week. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be like taking a quarter of all the subway lines in New York City off the grid. Now it's that crazy. I, it's it's not just that that I was thinking when I said up in smoke. I was thinking about um, President Trump decided that we were going to move our embassy. Uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's not happening this moment, but it is happening soon. And what the Palestinians are saying is that that throws out the two-state solution, basically. Well, and, and also, as Trump very forcefully was saying that Jerusalem is now the capital of Israel, right. and that bucks decades of precedent. Right. So, it seems any, to be causing protests in the region. I mean, I feel... Lately, as if an awful lot of things are going up in smoke. Oh, you yeah. Know, this is crazy. I mean, just to give you some sense. Of, so, like, you saw those videos of people driving down the 405, <laughs> and in their line of vision, the hills were on fire. The 405 is like the main yeah. artery for West LA. Right. That's how everyone right. commutes. Like, it looks like a city. disaster movie about yes. something terrible mm-hmm. happening in LA, yeah. except it is 100% it's actually real. happening. Right. Yeah. So, I am thinking about all of uh, my friends and family in California and our listeners there, too, and everyone out there hoping they stay safe. Uh, Sarah, what are your three words? My three words are it's not over. And it relates to this Me Too sexual harassment discussion we've been having mm-hmm. over the past few months in, in a number of ways. So, I felt like we really saw this week a shift from media and Hollywood 
to politics with Mm -hmm. the resignation of Senator Al Franken earlier this week, Representative John Conyers stepping down the longest serving Democrat in Congress. I was thinking my three words might also be it's getting weird. We just saw the Mm. resignation of um, Arizona Representative Trent Franks yesterday. Because? (laughs) Because, and this is where the it's getting weird comes in. He asked two of his staffers to be surrogates for his child. Oh, God. Which is like he put out the statement, him and his wife have struggled with infertility, you know, just a terrible thing to struggle with. But who decides this is like the okay place to look for a surrogate? Um, It's so Handmaid's Tale. And I think the other side, though, of it's not over is you still have Roy Moore running his Senate campaign and you see some more Republicans coming back to him as we get closer to the special election that's going to happen. Yeah, and not to mention that the president of the United States has bragged about contact that would be regarded in today's environment as horrifying. Right. Right. And these men, they're still running for Senate, still in office. Um, So it's not over in two ways. We're seeing more allegations come out, but you're also seeing men hold on to these positions of power, particularly in the Republican Party. And I feel like you're starting to see a split between how Republicans and Democrats are reacting to these. Democrats are kind of doing a cleaning of house at this point, saying we're the party that just does not find this And they aren't waiting for ethics committee rulings or other things. No, you really saw all the female senators, Democratic senators, came out in a wave on Wednesday, say, like one after one, saying we think Franken has to go. go." And, you know, there was enough pressure to to make him leave. Mm -hmm. Although I will say he gave a very bizarre kind of farewell speech. (laughs) Didn't apologize, didn't actually cop to the allegations, and also said, but look at Roy Moore and Donald Trump. Mm. Yes. In full disclosure, we're taping this Friday around 10 a.m. By the time listeners hear this, who knows what else may have happened when it comes to allegations against powerful men. You guys, I have three words. They are all the awards. I'll say this for a few reasons. Uh, One, we're entering award season in terms of the Oscars and such. But secondly, the image that I cannot get out of my head this week was uh, Colin Kaepernick. He was presented with the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award from Sports Illustrated, and it was given to him by Beyonce. She was on stage giving him Mm -hmm. this award. And everyone saluted him and thought it was a great thing. But it got me to thinking, what does that award really mean if he is still out of a job? And then I thought more about awards and such. And we've seen this week Time magazine named, quote, the silence breakers as their people of the year. Mm-hmm. But some of those very women featured in that issue lost jobs or gave up careers or didn't get promotions because of the harassment they experienced. And that Time magazine cover is not going to give them that back. And I've been thinking a lot this week about what does it mean to really acknowledge the effect uh of the loss that these people have suffered. And I don't think anyone's asking those questions yet. Right. And I think, you know, you see a lot of, you know, what's going to happen to these men who are pushed out, like Mm -hmm. who's going to come in. And there isn't as much, it's harder to talk about an absence of something that never happened. And even there's, I'm sure, countless women who aren't on the cover of Time magazine, who aren't getting awards, who have, you know, made decisions, you know, maybe because of certain comments, maybe because of things more serious than that, and who've made decisions about their careers. I don't know. I mean, we can't get those years back. We can't get their time in that in that woman's or you know in Colin Kaepernick's career back. At the same time, my hope is that the you know silver lining of this is that there are women who will follow in their footsteps. Yeah. Who will who will 
gain from this, who will be more empowered to speak out, who will ideally not have to speak out because it's been made clear this kind of behavior isn't acceptable. Yeah, yeah. You know, so much of this conversation that it seems pretty surface in the way that we are addressing or not addressing certain things, it feels the same way as the kind of ways that we talk about race. We look for the easy, cut and dry solutions, labeling someone as racist, firing that person, getting rid of that person. But we don't want to have larger conversations about how we play a role in systemic racism every day as part of our lives. And I don't know how on hot button issues like Me Too or other stuff, how do we get to those sustained, prolonged, deeper conversations that are harder and not just black and white? All right, time for a quick break. Coming up, more news of the week, a long-distance call to Alabama, where they're getting ready for that special election on Tuesday. And also stick around because we'll hear from listeners a bit later on, sharing the best things that happened to them all week. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Google Home. There are things you need to know in the morning, like the weather, your calendar, or the news. A personal assistant can just tell you those things, like the one built into every Google Home. Just say, hey Google, good morning. And the Google Assistant will tell you the latest forecast, traffic on your way to work, and even the headlines. It's a personalized briefing from an assistant that knows you best. It's a little help at home, like only Google can. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders talking this week with Sarah Cliff in her... I love this Fox sweatshirt. I really want one now. (laughs) We need to get our store open. Yeah. They're they're a hot item. You You know, we have a store in our lobby. You saw it when you came in, right? I know. I have to get an NPR shirt to match my Fox sweatshirt. (laughs) I have been begging them, and I will say this on the air as well. I want them to have a Bob Mumbrella <laughs> so much. <laughs> we have a Susan Stam bag and a Nina Toten bag, and it yeah. seems to me that we should have a Bob Mumbrella. I'm down for that. I forgot to say, you're a policy correspondent and podcast host at Vox, Sarah. And Bob Mandela, what Bob Mumbrella? What is it? Bob Mumbrella. Bob Mumbrella is NPR's film crew. I would purchase I, one. I, I thank you. All right, guys. Before we get back into the news, quick yes or no question. Mm-hmm. All right. In Virginia this week, officials put a toll on the I-66. Mm-hmm. The price of the toll lane is tied to demand and traffic volume, and the price can change every six minutes. Right. At one point Tuesday morning of this week, the toll hit forty. <laughs> so yes or no, would you ever pay a toll that high to bypass no, traffic? Not no. ever. What about you? Oh like, come that on, means you would. <laughs> that I means think, you would. Well it depends on I don't know if you're right if it's like an emergency, yes. I'm just trying to think through the yeah, scenarios. Yeah. I would definitely pay forty dollars to bypass traffic. Are you serious? I Do you pay... understand that that's less than ten miles? We're talking about from the beltway to But to ten downtown. miles in crazy traffic is an hour or two. Can I expense I, it to work? Like am I running late for something? <laughs> ah, can you expense it? Now that's the answer, isn't it? So, so people, so a lawyer who can send this to his firm, yeah, yes, will will take. I hate this whole idea. Well, I mean, I hate it. Stay out of Virginia. I'm gonna. I, I, we moved out of there when I was four. <laughs> All right, now it's time for a segment that we call long distance. This is where we call a listener from somewhere out in the world and talk to them about the news in their neck of the woods. Today on the line, we have actually an old friend of the show, April in Alabama. Are you there, April? I'm here. Hey, April, you're on the line with me and two of my friends, Sarah and Bob. How are you? I'm doing good, just trying to navigate through this 
snow, sleet, hail thing that's going on down here. Whoa. So yeah. it snowed all throughout the... My hometown of San Antonio got snow last night, April. Whoa. It's crazy. Exactly. Are they freaking out? So how are folks <laughs> yeah. dealing with it out there? Um, Not well as usual. There's a <laughs> lot of... It's kind of like going diagonally across the state, so it's not necessarily in every single part. But now they're saying that all of the freezing rain and hail that's coming down is going to freeze overnight, and oh. that we should be completely snowed out tomorrow. Stay safe. Oh. Yeah. Stay safe. Do my best. Yeah. yeah. So you're in Tuskegee, Alabama. We talked to you back in July, and we uh-huh. discussed this special election that at that point was just ramping up. And that was way before Roy Moore, the GOP candidate, got caught up in all these sexual assault allegations. Yeah. Uh, so we want to check in with you again and ask several months later, what has it been like to live through such a big national news story? I mean, did you expect it to be this big of a deal? Not at all. <laughs> I really thought this was going to go quietly like most of our in-state elections, even though it was for national government. I kind of expected it to be like, okay, the Republican candidate is going to win. Let's get as many people mobilized for the Democratic uh, candidate as possible. But we all know how this is going to end up. And yeah. then it just it didn't go that way at all. Yeah. What has the mood been like in the state? Is it all that people talk about right now? Yeah. <laughs> it is. There's a lot of other local things that are going on, but because it's been so in the media, in the national focus of things that are happening around the country, it's kind of like this is really all that's been consuming a lot of people's energy and time. And it's been a lot. And I think the ads, I was watching uh, some of our local news stations last night, and kind of like the ads are getting more and more. And I hadn't seen them as frequently as mm-hmm. I did last night. And I've seen, like, um, there's some crazy flyers kind of going around. And it's been very interesting, especially to see where these flyers are being placed. The crazy flyers. Give me an example of how crazy they are. Okay. Well, the one that just went out, um, one of my coworkers, who actually lives down in Selma, got this in her um, mailbox. Let me try to find the picture really quick. And then um, I saw it circulating through my Facebook feed. And some people Hmm. in Birmingham had seen it. And it says... Think if a black man went after high school girls, anyone would try to make him a senator. Wow. And I don't know if that's wow. mm. by a specifically Doug Jones, but it's been distributed. And, of course, these are things that we kind of think about, like me being black yeah. and a lot of people who live in the areas where they got them being black. These are things that we think about, conversation that we have to ourselves. Never would I have thought that it's it would have come out as a campaign. part of a campaign yeah. flyer. Yeah. So since you mentioned that flyer, uh, our um, producers checked where that came from. This is a flyer basically asking if Moore was black, could he be elected? Mm -hmm. And that did come from the Doug Jones campaign, turns out. Oh, wow. They sent it out. That is shocking. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, there has been this narrative uh, in press coverage of the upcoming race that uh, black voters might not be that excited about the candidate for the Democrats, uh, Doug Jones. Um, a lot of folks have been saying that he hasn't done enough to get out the black vote. But we're going to see Cory Booker from New Jersey out there this weekend. Uh, Deval Patrick, former yeah. governor of Massachusetts. Yeah. They're going to be campaigning, trying to get the black vote out. What do you make of the Dems and Doug Jones outreach to black voters? And from what you can see, are black voters excited to vote uh-huh. on Tuesday? Some are. Okay. Um, it just it kind of depends on where you are. Like he came to Tuskegee University, um, and that that was actually shocking to me because I never expect political candidates to come on to my little school. Um, <laughs> so they came last Friday, and then there are a lot of the older people, um, not necessarily in Tuskegee, but just kind of around. Period. That are like, well, we've been supporting Democrats for this long, but what have Democrats done for us? It seems that, and this was also true in the last presidential election, that it seems that Black folks are always voting for Democrats. Mm. 
But what are the Democrats really doing to help the black community? Hmm. Kind of like once they get in office, are they really going back to those communities and seeing what they need and enacting laws that protect those communities? And it doesn't seem that way. So a lot of older people are a little tired of it. Huh. If you had to describe the mood of Alabamans as they get ready mm-hmm. for Tuesday, having gone through a pretty drama-filled last few months, describe the mood of the state in one or two words. Mm. Overwhelming. Okay. Okay. Overwhelming. Yeah. And I think that's really because of the fact that we have been such in the national focus for the past few months. And the eyes of the world are on us. Like, we're always saying that we're, like, in constant competition for 50, you know, kind of joking around with us in Mississippi and stuff like that. (laughs) But now, literally, the eyes of the world are upon us. Yeah. Before I let you go, I want to give some news to our listeners. Since we last talked, you got engaged? Yay! Congratulations. Wow. Congratulations. What's his name? I do. Thank you. Okay, so his name is Demetrius Alexander Finley. Okay. Uh, we met at Tuskegee. Um, we were both a part of the Honda Campus All Star Challenge team, which is a quiz bowl team um, for HBCU <laughs> that it. Honda, the American Honda, comes through. And so, literally, the first time that I noticed him, it's like we were on the team for months, and we were cool. But the first time I noticed him, like, oh my God, who who is he? was when he beat me on the buzzer. <laughs> he was better than me, and I was like, who are you and why? So and now you're getting married. To be friends. Exactly. I love I'm so it. excited. Well, we saw the photos of your engagement, and I want you to send some more photos from the wedding, too, okay? Of course. All right. I hope you have a great weekend. Take care. All right. Have a great day, All right. Bye. All right, listeners, we want to talk to you for this segment, whether or not you just got engaged. If you want us to give you a call and talk about whatever's going on in your neck of the woods, drop us a note. Tell me what's going on. We might call you up. Sam Sanders at NPR.org. All right, it's time to talk about our main story of the week. And this is a thing we wanted to talk about this week because we have uh, Washington, D.C.'s preeminent journalistic healthcare expert, Sarah Cliff. Oh, thank uh, you. I want to talk about how this GOP tax cut affects healthcare because this GOP tax bill is secretly kind of a healthcare bill, yeah. right? It's kind of Obamacare appeal in disguise. Yeah. So I want you to unpack that for us. But first, I want us to discuss briefly where the bill is right now. A version passed the Senate, a version passed the House, but they're different in some big ways. What are the biggest differences between the House bill and the Senate bill? So there are a lot of them. Um, So some of the ones that jump out to me is that the House bill has a number of limitations on certain deductions. It would change the mortgage deduction, which is a big ticket item for a lot of American house owners. It would get rid of a deduction that grad students rely on for their educations where they're currently not taxed on their tuition waivers. And then one of the big differences I write about is the Senate bill would repeal the Affordable Care Act's mandate that everybody carries health insurance, which is not currently in the House bill. But I think now that it's passed the Senate, which is a little more moderate, that's going to come out in the final product. And so that mandate that everyone have insurance, what would the effect be? What would it look like if that mandate went away? Yeah. So what we know from, you know, conversations I've had with economists is two things would happen Mm -hmm. in the Obamacare marketplaces. And I want to be clear, if you're someone who gets insurance at work, this is not you. We're talking about 10 million people or so get coverage in the Obamacare marketplaces. Premiums would go up and people would lose coverage. Hmm. There is a debate among the healthcare nerds about how much premiums would go up. And the coverage loss would be in the millions. There is a debate about is it 5 million? Is it 13 million? Like the Congressional Budget Office says. It's millions. We don't know how many. But these are the two facts we know. Premiums go up. 
coverage goes down. Yeah. You know, something else in the bill from the Senate uh, is a proposed big cut to Medicare. And mm-hmm. Medicare is a federal program that gives health care to people that are over 65 or certain folks that are younger than that with disabilities. Why do they want to cut Medicare? Yeah, so this Medicare cut is kind of a roundabout thing that's going on in the bill. So the Medicare cut, it isn't actually in the bill. If you read through the text, you probably won't find the word Medicare there. The thing that's going on is that the Senate health, the Senate tax bill would raise the deficit pretty significantly. And mm-hmm. that would trigger these rules that create automatic budget cuts all across the huh. government. So essentially, you raise the deficit. They say, uh-uh, we can't afford to spend all this money. CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, they ran the numbers and they estimated that these automatic budget cuts would cut Medicare by $25 billion a year. So I, I will say we're hearing Republican senators say, no, 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 our bill doesn't cut Medicare. Technically true. There's nothing in the bill that actually cuts Medicare. But that is how our budget rules work right now. Um, so this is something Susan Collins has been talking a lot about hmm. lately, saying, no, we're going to fix that. I guess you can change the rules. You know, they are the Senate. They could change the rules. (laughs) But that probably wouldn't go over well with the deficit hawks in the Republican Party. So it it seems like this cut would likely be triggered by the bill, even though when you talk to Republican senators, they don't actually say it's their intention to cut Medicare. That is kind of what this bill is doing in a roundabout way. So then if you end up with the tax reform bill that cuts Medicare, takes away the mandate for Obamacare— Have Republicans essentially, will they have passed a repeal of Obamacare as we know it? They will have repealed a key element of Obamacare, these marketplaces, essentially. So I think everyone and even Republicans recognize the mandate is really crucial to making the marketplaces work. It is so unpopular. If Democrats could have avoided putting this policy in the Affordable Care Act, they absolutely would have. Because, like, who wants the government Mm -hmm. to tell you to buy health insurance? Like, that does not pull well. The reason they did it is because you need to get those healthy people in the market. And this is kind of a, you know, stick. There are also carrots, these subsidies to make health insurance cheaper. But there's also this stick meant to say, hey, we're going to charge you $695 or absolutely nothing if you don't buy health insurance. Mm -hmm. So the expectation is that the marketplaces would really struggle. They would lose their healthy enrollees. Premiums would go up as only the sicker people sign up for coverage. And you could enter this kind of death spiral. That being said, a lot of it is pretty uncertain. We have never repealed a health insurance mandate in our country. Hmm. We don't have a lot of policy evidence on it. So how quickly things would unravel? Would um, states, for example, pass their own individual mandates? Um, I was sitting in on a meeting they're having out in California yesterday um, over webcast. And California is already saying, well, maybe we'll pass our own individual mandate because we really like Obamacare out here in California. So it's a little bit unpredictable. But this is the individual mandate repeal. I don't know if you remember way back a few months ago, there was this bill called skinny repeal. It was like the last. So skinny repeal is basically repealing the individual mandate. That was basically what that bill did. And we would have considered that Obamacare repeal. So this is still kind of that. This is basically tacking skinny repeal onto the tax tax bill. And the thing that drives me crazy is when everyone was talking about skinny repeal, Republicans would say, we don't want to pass this policy. There was a crazy moment this summer where senators were saying, we'll only pass skinny repeal if the House promises not to pass it, too. We just need it as a vehicle (laughs) to get to conference to really work out our health care bill. And now they're tacking skinny repeal onto this tax bill. And it'll have the same outcomes of millions of people losing health insurance. 
And even besides whether or not millions lose health care or not, the healthcare industry itself is a big driver of the economy as a whole. Mm-hmm. Billions of dollars are caught up in it, and thousands, if not millions, of jobs are in the healthcare mm-hmm. industry. If you have a situation where five million less people have health insurance, how many jobs are lost through that? Yeah. I mean, we just got the most recent job figures for the month. Healthcare is one of the robust and has been one of the most robust, quickly growing industries in the country. Healthcare is one fifth of our economy. Wow. I believe it's if you added up our healthcare, it would be the fifth largest country in all the world. Just the healthcare industry? Just if you took our healthcare mm. and turned it into like Healthlandia, that would be the fifth largest. <laughs> Healthlandia. <laughs> which is a place where I, wow. I want to live. Um, yeah. That would be the fifth largest economy. It'd be about the size of Germany or so. Oh my goodness. So it, it's huge. I, I keep thinking this Obamacare debate is going to end at some point and I oh, will, I I will cover something else, but it's been eight years and it seems like it'll be another ninth year of it. Yeah. It just, it, it would be very, very chaotic. I think you're right that it would very possibly collapse this key place uh-huh. where about 10 to 12 million Americans are currently getting their health insurance. I predict we'll be arguing over Obamacare for another decade. It's like the share of policy. Oh, don't tell me that. It's just there. It's just going to be there. <laughs> uh, you know, I have been reading over the last week or two all of the weird little things tucked into these tax bills, mm-hmm. like a tax cut for private jet owners. What's yeah. the weirdest thing you saw in both bills? Oh, gosh, I don't know it well, but there's one about cruise ships really? that's in there. Okay. I forget whose it was, but I saw it on they had this long list of amendments. Huh. Um and then the other thing, this isn't a provision, but this is a weird thing you don't usually see in the bills, are uh-huh. handwritten amendments in the margins. I margin. seeing <laughs> that. So one of the crazy things on Friday night when this was passing. Last Friday. Last Friday night, so about a week ago, although it feels like months at this point <laughs> um, in 2017, is they were moving so quickly that a lot of the amendments and adjustments on the Senate bill were just being written out by hand. Because apparently it's like a whole process to actually get the text fit into like this very specific bill-fitting format. So you were literally seeing handwritten amendments And it was as bill. if these senators found the folks in their office with the worst penmanship. And were like, <laughs> you write it in there. Yeah. And, you just and it became them. a great talking point for yeah. Democrats. Oh, like, yeah. look how fast they're moving. They're having yeah. to write this by hand. Yeah. So. I have never seen that in legislation. That struck me as pretty weird. Nor have I. Well, uh, there'll be more to come on this issue, and we'll probably have you back on the show soon to talk more about it. Oh, yeah. I'll still be covering healthcare. it looks like. (laughs) Before we go to break, uh, just as a quick little dessert, when folks aren't reading about healthcare policy, Bob, they might go to the movies. What's the one film we should all go see this weekend? If you're in the right city, you can see Call Me By Your Name. And What's that about? It's extraordinary. It's a uh, it's a gay love story uh, set in Italy. It's one of the most beautiful films of the year. Wow. It's really gorgeous. It got great reviews, and it has the number one. Uh, in, it's only in a few theaters, but it had the highest per theater average huh. of any of any picture at all this year. If you're not in uh, one of the select cities that's playing that, um, there's a new film coming out called I Tanya. Uh, which is yes. about Tanya Harding. Oh, yeah. Oh, very my excited God. for this. God, it is so much. I mean, it's it's very funny. It's also, it sort of implicates us mm. in in her collapse, as did it you, were. Did you guys see, so uh, Sufjan Stevens yes. made uh-huh. a new song for the movie, but, and they set one of her ice dancing routines to the song. <laughs> it is the saddest thing I've ever oh. seen in my, oh my. life. Oh, my. Well, Sufjan Stevens also did uh, two songs for Call Me By Your Name. Huh. I didn't know that was a connection. I'm so pleased Look to have that. made that. It's it's the Tanya year. Harding. Is it good? 
The Tanya Harding yeah, movie, movie is terrific. Uh, yeah. uh, Margot Robbie is who I've uh, always Robbie enjoyed. Is, She's is terrific. Good. Yeah, but the the real one is uh, uh, Allison Janney, oh. who plays her mom. Uh. And oh lord, <laughs> <laughs> she's spectacular. This is going to be the year of the moms when we come to uh, 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 I love the uh, supporting actress category oh, because gotcha. because you also have. Uh, Laurie Metcalf on uh, in in Ladybird, um, which I hear good yeah. things about. Yes, one thing you can't see this weekend at the theaters is that twenty-one minute Frozen short <laughs> before Coco. It's finally been pulled. Oh, really? Yeah, good. They pulled it. They're like, this, no one wants this. <laughs> All right, it's time for one more quick break. We'll be right back with my favorite game. Who said that? <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, presenting the podcast, We Live Here, real talk about race and class that doesn't feel like homework. You'll hear investigations and stories of ordinary people. You can start by checking out an episode that has two best friends, one who is white and one who is not, getting quizzed about what it means to be an ally. Listen to We Live Here, where you get your podcasts. We are back. All right, it's time for my favorite game. It's called Who Said That? The game is so simple it hurts. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three or four of these. And the winner, as you probably know by now, gets absolutely nothing. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, first quote. She came in from the outside and was up in the rafters. And when she came through, she knocked a bottle of liquor off the shelf. Who said that? I'll give you one more quote from the same story. When she got down on the floor, she drank the whole damn bottle. Oh, wait, I heard about this was an animal. (laughs) Yeah. Was it an opossum? It was a possum. I also love that you tossed that O on top of the possum. Oh, yeah. A possum. Uh, So this, it went in and it drank like a whole bottle of like whiskey or bourbon or something? In Florida, of course, a possum (laughs) broke into a liquor store. Knocked down a bottle of liquor and drank the whole thing, basically. And survived. And survived. So they discover the thing. The police take this drunk possum to a wildlife refuge to be recuperated. They give the possum fluids. uh, And officials there said it wasn't that hungover. And then they just released it back into the wild. Okay, but how do you know if a possum is hungover? All I know is if possums don't get hungover, I want to be a possum. (laughs) Good job on that one, Sarah. Very good. You're up one to zip. Next quote. They'd say, like, she was hypnotized, right? And I'm like, no, she's just evil. How hard is that to accept? Who said that? It's about a movie. Get out? Yeah! It's true. You're you're wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So that was actress Allison Williams. She played, and this is a big spoiler alert for those that haven't seen Get Out yet. She's one of the big villains in the movie Get Out. And she was on Late Night with Seth Meyers, basically talking about even though her character was like killing black men, uh, a lot of white folks when they would see her in the streets would say... They would look for ways to think of her character as someone who was good. (laughs) And she'd say, no, the character is bad. And they'd say, are you sure? Yeah, they'd say, like, she was hypnotized, right? And I'm like, no, she's just evil. How hard is that to accept? She's bad. We gave you so many ways to know that she's bad. She has photos of people whose lives she ended behind her. The minute she can, she hangs them back up on the wall behind her. That's so crazy. And they're still like, but maybe she's also a victim. I'm like, no! (laughs) And she said it was only white people that said that kind of stuff. And she's wonderful in the movie. She's great in the movie. And apparently she got that role, being the world's worst villain, after people liked her in Peter Pan. Who knew? She has the range. 
I like her. Oh, I was thinking she's such a villain as Marnie on Girls. <laughs> yeah, that too. You can see it coming out there. All right, next quote and last quote. I would say that this is for all the Marvels, but you've kind of already won. Yeah, so. you've won already. <laughs> the quote is, Dear Santa, I'm only doing this for the class. I know your naughty list is empty. My it goodness. was an NPR. It was the son yeah. of an NPR correspondent. Yeah. So friend of the show, Sarah McCammon, who actually guest hosted the show before, her six-year-old son was forced to write a letter to Santa in school. He didn't like it, so he went off in this letter. I'm going to read the whole letter in full. Dear Santa, I'm only doing this for the class. I know your naughty list is empty. And your good list is empty. And your life is empty. You don't know the trouble I've had in my life. Goodbye. Love, I'm not telling you my name. <laughs> also, another great thing, you should really go on Twitter and find this, is that it's decorated with, like, Christmas trees and, like, crossbones and, yes. like, skulls. Yes. <laughs> it's really a work it of It is art. the best thing I've seen all week. Uh, Sarah's tweet with an image of this letter mm-hmm. went viral. It was even retweeted by J.K. Rowling. She got tons of press <laughs> pickup. Uh, Sarah, whatever you're doing with those kids, it's a good thing. Keep it up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I also want to follow up with Sarah's son to ask what these troubles are. Yeah. Oh, Sarah yeah. claims the trouble he's talking about is his brother, but mm. I won't believe until I talk to the actual child himself. All right. Uh, you won. Congratulations, Thank Sarah. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. I, I, I wish I had an umbrella or something to celebrate. <laughs> well, with any luck, soon. <laughs> All right. We are now done with our weekly wrap. Thank you both for playing. Thank it's fun. you. It was great fun. All right, Sarah and Bob, you're almost out of here. But first, a plug for our episode from this past Tuesday. I recently had the honor to talk to veteran journalist, uh, longtime CBS anchor, now Facebook star Dan Rather. We talked on stage in front of a live audience at the Brooklyn Academy of Music about his new book called What Unites Us. Uh, We talked about how Dan Rather basically believes that the country is in a crisis right now, but also why he thinks that there is reason for optimism. I'm going to play a cut of that conversation for you guys right now um, in case you missed it. I asked Dan basically how he deals with the daily onslaught of the news that we're all dealing with right now. One thing I often say to myself, and don't misunderstand me, I go through those mornings where I'm saying, phew. But one of the things I remind myself is the value of not being cynical. Cynicism is a bad disease. Skepticism, yes. Reporters get paid to be skeptical. And I would recommend to every citizen wanting to meet their responsibilities, a certain amount of skepticism is necessary, yeah. but never cynicism. You know, in journalism, that old saying, that you trust your mother, but you cut the cards. Well. <laughs> it was just a joy to talk to him. He's also a fellow Texan, so I enjoyed that, too. Mm. But that episode, if you want to hear it, uh, is in your podcast feed right behind this episode. So check it out. All right, with that, we're going to end the show as we always do. Each week, I ask our listeners to send us a recording of them sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They always do, and it warms my heart. Let's hear it now. Hi, Sam. This is Amanda from Richmond, and the best thing that happened to me all week was when my daughter piped up from the back seat and said, Who said that? (laughs) Hey, this is Sam from Munster, Indiana. 
The best thing that happened to me this week was watching our nine-month-old miniature golden doodle, Mabel, uh, encounter her first dusting of snow this morning. Aww. Hey, Sam, this is Maggie in Denver, Colorado. The best thing that happened to me this week is over a plate of pupusas, my boyfriend Cody and I decided to elope. Wow. I sent out my first job applications and within the space of just one day got two interviews. (sighs) Wow. I was seated on my local school board. Congrats. Hey, Sam, this is Joey and my wife. Say hi. Hi, it's Holly. And we are actually standing here at the California-Mexico border where we have just completed our Pacific Crest Trail through hike. Wow. Hey, Sam, it's Miss Suttles. Hi, Miss Suttles. And I just wanted to say that my favorite thing that happened all week is that all of my students read during quiet reading, and they made me very, very proud today. Yes! Hi, Sam. My name is Tamika. I live in Los Angeles. Hey there. And I am a freelance makeup artist. Uh, The best thing that happened to me this week was after being in L.A. on the grind, as they say, I got a chance to go to a screening of a short film, and my name was in the credits, and it was such a proud moment for me. Congratulations. It definitely made my weekend and helped my self-esteem. Yeah. Hey, this is Karin from Missoula, Montana. Hi. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that we just found out my husband's first CT scan after starting a clinical trial for his stage 4 colon cancer recurrence. Came back good. Like, oh, man, that's good news. Really good. The drugs are working. And Thank goodness. We know the future is uncertain, but today isn't. Today is just wow. a really good day. That's awesome. Anyway, thanks, guys. Love the show. Mm. Hi, Sam. This is Leanne calling from Buffalo, New York. The best thing that happened to me this week is uh, last Saturday I was grocery shopping with my two-year-old son. And an older gentleman approached us. Um, he was wearing a Vietnam veteran's hat, handed me a dollar, and said, Buy the little guy some candy. My wife of 53 years always did this, and I do this in her honor. Oh, um, man. I was really, you know, overcome and ended up embracing a complete stranger in the dairy department of, the, of our local oh. Wegmans. So that was the best thing that happened to me this week. Thanks. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Oh, man. That's so sweet. That was lovely. Thanks to all the folks you just heard right now. Amanda, Sam, Maggie, Rafaela, Julia, Joey and Holly, Miss Suttles and her students, Tamika out in Los Angeles, uh, Karen and Leanne. Thank you all for that. Uh, We listen to everyone that comes in. We wish you had time to play all of these submissions, but we don't. But still, share them with us. Every single one, we listen to it. If you want to share your best thing all week, you can do so at any point throughout the week. Just record your own voice and send the file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. With that, Mama, we made it. We're done. Rihanna's going to take us out. Often... For no reason at all, I'll be sitting doing work or something, and I'll say to myself, I wonder what, what Rihanna's doing right now. <laughs> and it's probably fabulous, yes. whatever it is. Whatever it is. She's just doing a great job of it. Uh, all right. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our director of programming, Steve Nelson, helped out as well. And we had some editing help this week from Jeff Rogers. Our big boss is NPR's VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Uh, Sarah, Bob, 
Thank y'all. Yeah, this thanks. Uh, also, a special thank you to all of those who caved to the pressure and gave to their local NPR stations through our special link, which is donate.npr.org slash Sam. It's not too late to give. When you give through that link, every station that gets your donation knows that you did it because we asked you to, and that means a lot for us. So please do that. If you go to donate.npr.org slash Sam, you can find your local station and tell them I sent you there to give. So that would help us out a lot. All right, refresh your feed Tuesday morning to hear a hilarious chat with internet celebrity and professional complainer Matt Belisai. Until then, do what Rihanna would do and live fabulously. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This message comes from NPR sponsor MassMutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice. But you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.